you have a Bible today, let's open up to Luke chapter 22. As we look at Maundy Thursday, uh, a message um, uh, that Thursday before Good Friday, and then of course uh, Resurrection Sunday. This is a special week. I mean, this is what they call Passion Week. This is, uh, even though you know, we're going through this uh, trial and we're separated, it doesn't mean that it, it lacks power. I mean, God can still do a great work in us because the, the church is not a building. The church is a body. The church, are, are the, we're the people. And, uh, and so don't think that this year is going to be uh, less. If anything, I'll bet if we open our hearts, it can be more. And so we're, we're going through one day at a time. Tonight is Maundy Thursday. And you might wonder, well, what is Maundy Thursday? What does Maundy mean? And just over the, the years, basically, the church uh, ended up giving it that title. Uh, the Latin word Maundy, it, it means mandate or, or commandment. And so basically what the church uh, concluded was on that night, on that Thursday night, Jesus gave that, that great commandment in John chapter 13, 34 through 35. Remember that? We've been talking a lot about this on 1 Corinthians 13, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you love one another. By this all will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And so that's where we got Maundy Thursday, Latin for mandate, uh, comes to that place where it talks about that great commandment that night when Jesus commanded us to love the way that he loves and that is to the uttermost. And so I thought it was kind of cool uh, to be honest what a wonderful thought about that Thursday when you think about it how it was all wrapped up in, in love and my prayer is that even though we go through trials my prayer is even though we don't know why we don't understand we feel pain, we feel heartache, we get down, we get depressed. My prayer is that you would know that God loves you because he died for you. Not because our circumstances are great, not because we necessarily feel it all the time, but we know it because he died for you. The Father gave God the Son to be crucified on Calvary. And that's why it's kind of cool that this night is wrapped up in love. And so here in Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to be working with my computer, so hopefully uh, this works out okay. Um, but, um, you know, Luke 22, Monday, Thursday, Jesus gave that commandment. And then we see uh, Jesus ask his disciples to prepare for the Passover meal. And so this probably happened sometime maybe morning of that day or afternoon. We read in Luke 22, beginning in verse 7. It says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, well, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you, carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters, then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. And so I can't wait until we get into the Passover and I wish we had more time to cover all the details of this amazing, amazing symbolic event. But um, today as we go through this, I'm just going to kind of touch on things and Jesus is preparing for that dinner. You know, he tells the guys, they go into the city and when you go there, you're going to see a man with a pitcher of water. Now in those days, uh, he's, uh, it would be significant because um, most of the time the women the ladies were the ones that would go and draw water there would probably be many ladies carrying pitchers of water but this is different uh, because it was a man and i thought it was kind of funny we've talked about this before how nowadays we go and get those five gallon jugs imagine if the ladies had to do that <laughs> that's what they had to do back then jesus has done a lot for the ladies 
but here we do see something out of the ordinary, a man's carrying this pitcher of water. And so that would be a sign. Jesus said, hey, go uh, follow that guy. Imagine that. He follows him. And then he goes and then they talk to the master of the house. And basically the things are set up. There's going to be this large upper room. And it's amazing because this room is furnished for them. And so we're going back 2,000 years, you know, and what happened that Thursday, you know, that Passover uh, meal, how did it all happen? And we read about it here in uh, Luke 22 about how it all went down. You know, uh, Passover, um, before it was a holiday, it was a deadly day. Before it was a noun, it was a verb. And it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus, chapter 12, and verse 13. Remember when the Lord was setting his people free. You know, all those plagues, the first nine plagues, God's just uh, flexing his muscles. But then the, the, the final blow is when the Lord commanded the Jews to, to take a lamb and to take the blood of the lamb and to put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. And when the angel of death came, and he saw the blood applied to your house, then the Bible says the angel of death would pass over. And that's what this night is all about, the, the Passover. Before it was a noun, it was a verb. And, and what we're going to see as we go through here, the amazing, amazing symbolism there in, in the Passover. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 7, that Jesus is our Passover lamb. And, and when you look at this, it's interesting to me. I wish I had more time and we could get into all the different symbolisms, but, but the Passover was when they would take that lamb and all the different intricacies about it. The, the, the Seder, many, many of you have probably heard of that word Seder. It means order. And that dinner had uh, 15 steps. Uh, they would go through all these different things. We're going to see uh, tonight some of those steps involving the children, involving the parents, involving the lamb, involving the, the parsley or the hyssop, involving the, the, the water that was salt, water that would symbolize the tears. Um, I, I wanted to share a couple of things that just kind of off the top of my head when it comes to the Passover, even today, they have what was called the shank. And so that's what they, they, they eat. And that would be the part of the lamb. Some, for whatever reason, they call it the arm. But, but really, lambs don't have arms. They have legs. And they would you take that shank leg, and that would be part of the Passover lamb, the Passover dinner. And, and, and what that symbolizes is that in the book of Exodus, it says that you would take a lamb for the Passover. And, and the interesting thing about this sacrifice, different than all the other sacrifices, is you wouldn't break any of its bones. Now, it doesn't say that about any of the other sacrifices. But here, the Bible says that when it comes to the Passover lamb, you wouldn't break any bones. And so here they are, the Jews are eating the Passover Seder today, and there's that shank, there's that leg bone right in front of them. And, and so when you read the Gospel of John, chapter 19, it says that, you know, the, the, the time came and they, they wanted to uh, uh, expediate, they wanted to make the death of the, those that were on the cross uh, faster. And so they came and they broke the legs of the two criminals, but when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead and they did not break his legs. They did not break his bones. And so every time they're eating the Passover the dinner, the, that shank, that leg bone is there staring them in the face. You know, something else that's interesting uh, among many things is the way that when you have the Passover dinner, they have three uh, pieces of the matzah. And the matzah, uh, there would be there, it's symbolic, it's so amazing. You know, they would have one, and what they would do is they would take the matzah, those three pieces, and they would put them in a bag that was called an ikad. Now the ikad is an interesting word in the Hebrew language. The ikad, it means one, but it means plurality of one. For example, when the Bible says a husband and wife shall be one, it uses that word ikad. 
It's one, but there's a plurality of one. Or, for example, when the Jews went and they got the, the bunches of grapes, the cluster of grapes, it, it uses the word ekod for cluster. And so it's one, but it's plurality of one. And so what the Jews do on the Passover is they take the matzah and they, uh, they put it in the ekod, but they put it into three different compartments. And the interesting thing about it is that they take it and the middle one, they break it and they put the one piece back in the ekod and they take the other piece of that, that, that matzah bread and they wrap it in linen and they hide it. This is interesting. It's fascinating. You ask them what it means, they really don't know. But as Christians who know that all these prophecies point to Jesus, we know what it means. How, how Jesus was broken. And in one sense, the, the matzah that goes into the ekod, what that is, is symbolic of his deity. It's back there with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But the part that's broken and hidden, it's interesting, it's wrapped in linen. That's symbolic of the humanity of Jesus. And how he, even though he came here, he was wrapped in, 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 in humanity his deity was veiled. It's a fascinating thing. You know, so much about this is interesting to me. Another thing, I want to show you a picture of matzah, because maybe you guys have seen this before, but if not, it's pretty interesting to me. The matzah, what it is, it, it, is it has, uh, it, number one, it's unleavened. Number two, it has stripes. And then number three, is it has these piercings in it. And, and what we find is that the matzah bread is, is symbolic of Jesus who has no sin. That's what unleavened means. And the stripes on the matzah bread are, are there staring us in the face how Jesus was scourged for us. How they laid those stripes on him. And then the, the holes in the matzah bread are symbolic of the fact that Jesus was pierced for our sins. And so when you, when you look at the things in the Passover, uh, to me, it's just so fascinating. Jesus, we're going to see later, he says, with fervent desire, I, I wanted to have this Passover meal with you because so much of it would point uh, to Jesus. So we don't have time to go over everything. Uh, it's interesting, in the Passover meal, they would have four cups of wine. And, and when, when Jesus instituted a communion, it was the third cup. It was the cup that the Jews called the cup of redemption. Now, there's, there's so much about this that today, to be honest, when I was going through my study, I just began to weep. I began to cry. I couldn't hold it in. Because clearly, clearly, when you look at the prophecies, when you look at the typologies, when you look at the symbolism, even the things that the Jews themselves have brought into the tradition over the years, it's just so amazing to me. And then uh, there's so much more I could share, but you know, it's interesting uh, when it's all said and done, the children would then go looking for that matzah bread. And, and, you know, if they got it, then, you know, they would bargain for a price. And that's kind of what we're supposed to do now. That, that matzah bread that was wrapped up in the linen and the hidden somewhere, that's us seeking Jesus Christ the way that we should with all of our heart. And so to me, it's just so, so cool. They would end the, the night with the halal psalms. And then if you were to go to a, a Seder or a Passover dinner, at the very end, they would say, uh, and Lord willing, they would say, next year will be in Jerusalem. And to me, I was thinking that in one sense, that means uh, maybe, who knows? We don't know the day or the hour. Um, it would be nice to be in Israel or Jerusalem there. The Jews, of course, have always had that heart. But who knows? You know, maybe uh, the day will come eventually when we will be in the new Jerusalem. And so, again, this Passover, Jesus is preparing it uh, for them. And as they're, they're going through this, one of the things I'm going to share with you today 
is uh, it's so cool when you harmonize the Gospels, you know, because not everything was written in chronological order. So when you harmonize it and you have to take from the different Gospels, you put it all together, you get to find out exactly the order of that night, what happened that night. And so we read next in Luke 22 in verse 14 that Jesus uh, begins the meal. In Luke 22:14, it says, And when the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you that I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled, fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then, chronologically, you have to jump next to verse 24. It says, Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so, if you could just kind of journey back to that dinner, imagine how, how special it was there in that upper room with so much, where so much history would eventually take place. And as they're there, uh, the, it says that the hour had come, there in verse 14. And I was thinking about how, like in John chapter 7, verse 30, and in John chapter 8, verse 20, how Jesus would repeatedly say things like this in different ways, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. No, now the hour has come. The time for our Lord to lay down his life. And so the hour comes, and as they're there, this is something that he wants to do. One of the interesting things you'll see about this whole uh, time is that Jesus mingles uh, things together with prophecy. You know, a lot of this dialogue that Jesus has with them that night talks about the future. You know, he talks about how one day um, this would all be fulfilled. There in verse 16, where he says, For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until... It is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, or, or until the meaning is fulfilled, and the translation says, is in the kingdom of God. You know, um, looking forward to the day that we will be together there in heaven. You know, we're, we're going to see here, even as Jesus goes through, and isn't it crazy to you how while the God of the universe is humbling himself, not only to become a man, but to die and not just die, but to tie on the cross for all of our sins. Philippians chapter 2, it talks about that. Isn't it amazing to you that while God is humbling himself, these guys right here are having this dispute as far as who will be the greatest. And so, you know, I don't want to put him down, bang on him too much because I think, you know, we all apart from the Lord and apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, we all have that, that part of us that for whatever reasons wants accolades or wants power or wants position. But Jesus here is teaching us, let's run from that. You know, the Lord here, he teaches us, that's how the world is. But for you, and we know the, the kingdom is inverted as Christians, that if we want to be great, that we have to be as a, as a young person or as a child, we have to have the heart of a servant. And, and the Lord here, he, he tries to teach us that. And hopefully we get that understanding. You know, the Bible talks about if we exalt ourselves, we'll be humbled. But if we humble ourselves, the Lord will raise us up. The Lord will reward. The Lord will bless. 
And so the Lord is trying to teach them, but to me it's just a trip, because it's not the first time. How to the very end, I mean to the very end, these guys are still trying to jockey for position. But but again, the Lord, he doesn't, you know, beat them up. Um, he's going to use them. He loves these guys. But to me, it's interesting how he says in verse 28, you are those who have continued with me in my trials. You guys didn't leave. You know, there's a lot of people as Christians, when the trials start, they split, they quit. And and these guys, they were still there. Judas is about to leave. But, but these guys, they went through a lot of trials, a lot of mocking, a lot of heartaches with Jesus. But that's a time of testing, huh? You know, and so they, they say that a faith that, that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. You know, when we go through the hard times, will we still believe the promises that God works all things together for good? Do we still believe in heaven, in him? You know, the Lord here, as he's, you know, sharing with them and teaching them and trying to encourage them and put them in the right place. He says there again in verse 29, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my father bestowed one upon me. And notice that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What's the Lord saying there? He's saying, hey, don't lose heart because you will be rewarded. As you humble yourself now, imagine in the millennial kingdom, the Bible says that we will be kings. Imagine that. We will be kings. We will be priests. We will be ruling over cities. Imagine that. And so don't be discouraged. Don't allow the enemy to get you sidetracked. Don't get caught up in this world. Remember that there's one that, that's coming. And the Lord here, he's trying to encourage them in that. You know, and I've told you guys before, C.S. Lewis said, if you aim for earth, you're going to miss it. And you're going to miss heaven. But if you aim for heaven, then you get both. And that's what the Lord is saying right here. And so to me, it's so awesome the way that we see the mingling of the, the teaching and the prophecy it's so important for us to know uh, the future for us as Christians are good. It's good. Uh, we know the Bible says that the, the pain and the heartache that we experience today will not even be able to be compared to the glory that we'll receive one day. And so don't lose sight of heaven. Remember, heaven is not just a destination. It's a motivation, okay? And so as we're going through this, uh, the next thing on the, on the chronology of what happened that night is over in the Gospel of John chapter 13. And I was wondering if you could turn there to John chapter 13 as this is all happening. Um, what, what happens next? We read in John chapter 13. Jesus said in, in verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that. He, he loved them to the end. And so in verse 2, and supper being ended, or some translations say it actually happened during supper, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I, am doing, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my, my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their 
feet, taken his garments, and sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you knew these things, blessed are you. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. That's Psalm 41 verse 9. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. And so here we see that Jesus uh, washes the disciples' feet. And in that, we have a couple of amazing lessons. You know, um, again, like, like we've kind of been saying, the Passover dinner had, had many, many uh, parts to it. And somewhere during the dinner, uh, Jesus notices that no one has actually done that job of washing one another's feet. Now, in those days, when you would eat, they didn't have chairs. Uh, they would incline on couches. And so people's feet, they, they weren't too far from you. And, and in those days, generally speaking, whenever you would go to someone's house, it's an interesting uh, thing. The, the lowest servant in the house would take and they would wash your feet. And so apparently no one had done that. And so this gives Jesus that, that heart that he, he shares with us who, he's, who he is and that he then girds his waist, he gets the water and he goes and he washes all their feet. And it's such a tremendous lesson for us. You know, in Isaiah chapter 53, when we look at the whole thing about the cross, the Bible describes Jesus as the suffering servant. And that whole heart, like we mentioned earlier, the heart of love, the heart of service, that's really what this is all about. You know, just as a quick side note, I was even thinking about tonight's study and just us as a church. You know, I was thinking about how uh, trying to put everything together and, you know, uh, Cynthia doing the, the music videos and sending it to us and, and Henry doing the, the video and sending it to us and doing graphics and Ariel going in and putting the lyrics uh, to the, the, the songs. Uh, it was such a blessing. Uh, even having some, some neighbors who helped me out to kind of get the setting for tonight. Um, and then just you as a church. So many of you are praying. Uh, and I know it. I can feel it. I can sense it. I see God doing a work. And you know what's interesting too? Just as a, a quick side note is that so many of you are giving. You know, I thank God for that. Like Henry mentioned in the announcements, we would never ask for money. And, you know, God has always provided for us, but, but God has laid it on your hearts and, and you're such a generous church. And, and basically what I'm saying is that I, I just thank God for the hearts that God's given you to serve. You know, my wife did so much to help me tonight. I can't even begin to articulate the gratitude that I have. But, but that's what Jesus tells us. He says, hey, that's how I am. And I'm the teacher. I'm the, I'm the master. That's the heart that we need to cultivate as well. And so as he's about to die, we're going to see in John 13, 14, 15, 16, Jesus shares some heavy, heavy lessons, kind of like parting words that are very, very important for us. You know, another thing about the foot washing is that, um, you know, when the Lord came to Peter, you know, Peter wanted him, you know, oh, you'll never uh, wash my feet. Absolutely not. And Jesus said, no, I have to do it. It's something that's very important. It's part of this whole process. And then so Peter's like, okay, well then, you know, wash me, give me a whole bath. And then uh, the Lord said, no, you don't need a whole bath. I just need to wash your feet because you're already clean. And, and there is a, a message in that as well, that we as Christians... We're clean. We are forgiven. We are washed. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5 says, in the blood of the Lamb. You know, Judas wasn't, 
but but they were if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior the Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved at the moment you believe you're saved imagine that and so you're clean you're clean even though I know sometimes we don't feel clean I know a lot of times we feel the opposite but it's because we're not looking at ourselves through the lenses of the Lord when God sees you as a Christian he sees you with no sin the righteousness of Christ is imputed to your account but here's the thing as we're walking through this world our feet get dirty our feet do you know in, in a practical sense not a positional sense but in a practical sense and that's why uh, we pray Lord forgive us of our sins you know in the model prayer Jesus said, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and lead us not into temptation and forgive us our trespasses. Some people say, well, you don't have to pray you know, for God to forgive you. Well, Jesus told us to pray it in the model prayer. And I, I don't know about you, but it's like every time I pray, I feel like I need to ask the Lord to forgive me. And he is so good and so gracious and so willing and so humble that he will wash our feet. It's so amazing how our Lord, the God of the universe, stoops down to take care of us and to teach us. And so all this is going on. And again, if you look at it in chronology, Jesus uh, does this. He, he teaches them this lesson. He washes their feet right after they were arguing as far as who would be the greatest. After that, Jesus predicts and reveals his betrayer. And so we see that next in John chapter 13 in verse 21. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. And then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And so um, Jesus now, uh, it starts to hit him hard. One of the guys he has been loving on, one of the guys he's been pouring into, you know, one of the guys that he chose, and I don't think God chose him to betray, no. Uh, what, this is the one, these are the twelve. That's what God the Father had laid on his heart. But then as time progresses, Judas realizes, hey, this is not going to be a kingdom on earth. I'm not going to get my way. You know, he had this heart, you know, to, to make sure that, you know, he had this kingdom, this money, things that, you know, would happen now. And the more he's following Christ, the more he's realizing that it's not about now. It's about laying up treasures in heaven. And so at that point, uh, Judas it goes into his heart. The enemy starts getting him to actually betray Jesus. And so the one that, that he loved, his friend, would turn on him. And Jesus now, it says, he was troubled in his spirit. And they, you know, he says, one of you guys is, is going to betray me. Now the disciples, they thought, there's no way. All these guys, they're loyal. They, you know, and they were. The other 11, man, they were hardcore loyal, man. They were loyal. And so they just couldn't understand. And so it's interesting in verse 23, it says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Now again, just as a quick side note, who wrote this gospel? John did. 
Who was the one that was leaning on Jesus' breast? It was John. How did John identify himself? He identified himself as the one whom Jesus loves. You know, when you look at the life of John, this guy was so amazing. They called him the apostle of love. He's actually was persecuted. He was used by God in a tremendous way. Uh, but the, the Romans tried to kill him. They put him in boiling oil and he survived that. And then he was exiled to the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. And then when he was old, uh, he would just they would carry him around in a stretcher. And he would just go around telling everybody, hey, love one another. Beloved, love one another. Children, love one another. This guy, we believe, when we're studying, you know, as far as relationships go, he was the closest one to Christ. Think about it. There he is leaning on a man's chest. I mean, there he is. Imagine that. And, and the reason he was able to, to be that is because he appropriated the love of God to himself. And it's so important that you do that. And don't look at you know your flaws. Don't focus on yourself. Understand that the Lord loves you. And, and when that begins to sink in, wow, me? Yes, me. When that begins to sink in, it's then that it begins to give healing to our broken hearts. You know, that God loves me. And as it sinks in, it brings healing to us. And then it just oozes out. Then you begin to love one another. And so, uh, just again, a quick side note to me, it's just fascinating how John called himself that, the one who Jesus loves. I would encourage you, call yourself that. Even though I'm his favorite, it's okay for you to call yourself that, the one whom Jesus loves. But, but Peter here, he motions to John, he asks him who is it that's going to betray him. And what ends up happening is uh, Jesus says it's the one, and he tells John that he's going to dip the, the, the bread it wouldn't work with coronavirus now, that's for sure. <laughs> we're, we're, we're maintaining social distance. Here they are double dipping and they're eating the same bread. And that's how they became one back in those days, eating dinner together like this. But um, what we find going on here is just so amazing. The intense spiritual battle that is taking place. I mean, there's so much going on here. I mean, there's the devil. He's right there. And there is God in the same place. And they're fighting for Judas. And remember, Jesus just got done washing his feet. It says in John 13, verse 1, that he loved them to the end. And I believe that when Jesus put the bread in the sop, and I believe that when he, he offered it to Judas, I'll bet you almost anything that he was looking at him with eyes of love. And he's saying, Judas, here, you know, I'm, I'm extending this to you as an olive branch. I mean, I'm extending this to you as an expression of my love. He was seated at the place of honor. And, and as Judas got the bread, and I'm sure these thoughts are flowing through his mind, he just takes it and he eats it. And basically in his heart, he said no. He said no. And because he said no, it was at that point that Satan entered him. And that's why it's so important for us, you know, never say no to the Lord because there is a battle going on. You guys know this, huh? At home, you know, I don't know, hopefully you guys are having a good time with your family. But man, just the, the spiritual battle that's going on right now is intense. And we have to ask God to give us that grace to be able to draw near to Jesus, to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I've told you a million times that we're no match for the devil, but the devil's no match, no match for Jesus. And so we have to walk in his strength. And so what happened with Judas, it happens to so many people out there who they split, they quit. John chapter 6, verse 66, it talks about a lot, a lot of people no longer walking with Jesus. Judas, unfortunately, fell into that. And, and to me, it's not a, a coincidence that it says right there in verse 30, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. 
You know, Jesus is the light of the world. The devil is the night of the world. Jesus gives light, you know, to show us who we are and what's going on, to show us the way. But the devil blinds us and he binds us. The Bible talks about that, how he has come, the devil, to, to, to steal and kill and destroy. And so all this is going on. And then in John chapter 13, in verse 31, we come to the Mondi part. It says, And so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. Imagine that. The cross, it, it speaks of his glory. He's going to be lifted up. You know, we don't like the pain. We don't like taking up our cross. We don't like being humiliated. We don't like the, the, the suffering. But when it's in the will of God, it, it will bring glory to God. So don't lose heart. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, we're getting closer to that day. And in verse 32, if God is glorified in him, then God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And he, and he says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, Jesus said, I'm leaving now. And here's the context. Now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And, and we've talked about this. And this is what Jesus did on, on, on going to Calvary for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and in the context of this Thursday and this dinner and this betrayal and all these things that are going on, imagine how would you feel? If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, how would you feel if you knew that your, your, one of your best friends was about to betray you, that the rest of them were about to abandon you, that the Father, Jesus, would, we're going to talk about this, Lord willing, tomorrow, how, how the Father would turn his back on Christ, how he would be separated, separated from him for the first time in eternity. I mean, as we're going out and, and this virus is, is out there, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I mean, I don't know, like, I know we're not afraid to die, but, you know, we're wearing the masks and, uh, you know, we're keeping our social distance and we even have gloves on now as we're going out because someone might sneeze on us, you know, someone might cough, there might be a droplet in the air that means I'm going to die. Or maybe I'll pass it on to someone else. There, these thoughts roll through our mind. Well, we have questions. Jesus didn't have a question. He knew it was, it was true. And, and it wasn't just any death. I mean, he would be nailed to a cross. He would bear the sins of the world. So all this is heavy on his heart. But he says, hey, since I have to leave, one of the things that I want you to do, church family, with all, with all of the people that are there, remember, it's agape love when it's unconditional and sacrificial, when it seeks their highest good, expecting nothing in return. You see, that's what Jesus is teaching us, that we love one another as he has loved us. That's why it's a new commandment. And that's what Maundy Thursday is all about. But then... <laughs> It, it, it continues, and then Jesus, the next thing he does is he warns and predicts the fact that his disciples would deny him. In Luke chapter 22, if you go back to Luke 22, in verse 31, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. 
Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? And so they said nothing. And then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack, and he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. For the things concerning me have an end. And so they said, Look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, It is enough. And Jesus here, he warns and he predicts his disciples that Satan would was asking for him that he would sift him as wheat. Jesus in his love, he said, I'm praying for you, Peter. And, and that means that God is, you know, he's, he's, he's going to chase down. He's not going to give up. You know, to me, when I look at this, it goes back to the fact that we are in this crazy spiritual battle uh, and the enemy is after us, especially those of you who are serving the Lord and you're making a difference. Or maybe there are some of you out there that are, are vulnerable. You know, we don't have a lot of time left um, and I, and I actually wanted to share this with you in, in closing. Um, the rest of, the, of the, the, the night was Jesus Institute's communion. And then we have his parting words in John uh, 14, 15, and 16. I encourage you to read it. And then John 17 is his prayer request. The, one of the few prayer requests that we can answer. He asks that we'd be one as a church. But, but here, you know... I, I don't want to sound weird or anything, but, you know, the devil is after you. Demons are after you. They're trying to take you down. And, of course, the Father is, you know, on our side, and, and Jesus is our intercessor. But you still have to make a choice. You know, Peter ended up, uh, number one, he was overconfident. He was overconfident. And when you're overconfident, that would lead to the second thing that Peter was guilty of, is that he didn't pray the way that he should. You know, when it was time to pray, we're going to see tomorrow that he was sleeping. And that led to the third thing, and that is that after Jesus was arrested, he followed at a distance. And then the fourth thing was that Peter uh, was warming himself by the fire of the world. When you start getting comfortable in the world, and what ended up happening Peter, this amazing man that we love so much, this guy who was completely, in his own mind, he thought, I will never go away. I'll never deny the Lord. He denied the Lord three times, swearing that he never knew him. And, and so it all starts with this, overconfidence. You, know, you may be there thinking, well, I'm good, you know, and God's got me covered, and I'm, you know, in a great place. Well, let me ask you a question. And it goes back to my devotions today, and this is what I want to close with. When I was reading through the Bible today, this is my devotions, okay? Uh, this I just read through the Bible. In, my, in the morning, I'm reading through the Old Testament. And I was in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and chapter 7. And in 2 Chronicles, Solomon builds the temple, he dedicates it to God, and then God shows up and God speaks to Solomon. And the, the thing about that whole context there are two things that we can relate to. Number one, uh, Solomon said, And if your people ever, are ever scattered, Lord, if they pray to this place, towards this place, then Lord, hear their prayers. And then in Second Chronicles seven thirteen, you know what the final thing is that, that the Lord says, Hey, if, if, if I do this to you, it's pestilence. 2 Chronicles 7.13, he talks about pestilence. That's what we're experiencing in the world right now, so much pestilence. And so then the Lord shares, we all know this verse, 2 Chronicles 7.14, and he talks to his people. He says, if my people will do four things, if they'll humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they'll seek my face, and if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then God said, I'll do three things. I'll hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sins, and I'll heal their land. 
So let me ask you this, because I know we know this verse. Have you humbled yourself? Have I humbled myself? And you're like, well, what does that mean, Manny? It means that, I, that I'm now praying. It, it goes back to what happened with Peter denying the Lord. When I humble myself, I acknowledge that I can't do this, that I need God, that we need God. And the number one way that you can know whether or not you've truly humbled yourself, has it changed or impacted your prayer life? And as you're praying, not just playing, but as you're praying, you're seeking His face, you're entering in, you're communing with God. God says, when you're there, I'll show you your sins. Because we all have sins. Our, our world has crazy sins. 125,000 babies die every single day. But, but if the church catches fire, and if God pe God's people humble themselves, pray, seek His face, and then as we're there, He's going to show us the ways that need to change. God says, then I'll hear from heaven. I'll... I'll uh, I'll forgive their sins and I'll heal the land. And so my prayer is that as we're going through this trial together, I believe with all my heart, you guys, that we're going to respond. Spend that time with the Lord. You know, get away. Ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me to do this? And as you're, you're there and He'll give you the divine details, Daniel prayed three times a day. Spend that time with the Lord. And then when you're there, of course, you don't want to just be, you know, religious. I spend time with God. Then you live it out with your family. Now, right now, uh, the Lord was telling me, you know, you know, we're going through this trial. Um, maybe people are getting sick so we could appreciate our health. Maybe people are, are, are dying so we could appreciate our life. Maybe the economy is falling so we could appreciate what we have and maybe even discover that He's all we need. God is teaching us so many lessons and prayerfully we're drawing near to our family. And I think, although it requires a little extra effort, phone calls, text messages, prayers, a lot of other things, that even through all this church, even though we're separated physically, I believe with all my heart that when this is all said and done, we'll be stronger than ever. That's my prayer. I'm an optimistic person. And my prayer is that when it's all said and done, we will be stronger and we will be closer. And so I pray that would happen in the church so much more that Thursday. For those of you who are Christians, let's make sure we give them our heart completely. And if you're out there and struggling and hurting and you know, you're broken and you don't know, you know, how it all works as far as how you get to heaven. It's just the name of Jesus. Call on the name of Jesus tonight and he will save you from your sins. He died for you on the cross. He rose again the third day. And the Bible says in Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so I pray you would do that right now.